Sorry about that. Whoop. Uh, it's a finicky thing, these lapel mics. So apologies for those of you on uh, Zoom or uh, I just read Isaiah chapter 11. Now we'll go to Revelation chapter 1. Uh, starting with verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from the sins, from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of, called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God bless to us this reading of his holy word. A few months ago, there was a 48-year-old woman who was in a, uh, a shop in North London, doing her big shop for the week, who had her trolley full of things. And, uh, and she was there at the, uh, the self-checkout and uh, just couldn't get things to work. I mean, it was really, really tough. She was getting frustrated. She had to get to work. Finally, in a fit of frustration, she just walked, drove the, pushed the trolley out of the shop and into her car and took it home 150 pounds worth of groceries and things that filled her trolley. And to her surprise, nobody stopped her. Nobody questioned her. Nobody asked her anything. Now, this woman is a mother of two. 
uh, has a well-paying senior position uh, in her job. And since that first time doing it, she admits that she's done it again four more times. Four more times. Now, interestingly, though, she claims she doesn't see herself as a shoplifter. I'm not really a shoplifter. I'm kind of a goody-goody. Well, if she's listening, I've got a message for her, and that is you are a shoplifter, and you're not so good. You're not so good. We've got a running joke right now in our family, which includes Io, since she's been staying with us. And we, we watch the television. You, you start to do this now, you'll, you'll be amazed. If you're watching the news or watching a TV program, invariably, we were watching one just last night where uh, the woman's son had just killed like six people. And the FBI are interviewing her. And she says, yeah, but deep down inside, my son's a good person. You know, you interview that person who lived next door to the serial killer. And they say, oh, he seemed like such a good person. You talk about somebody who, who has just cheated on their spouse. And they say, but, you know, I'm basically a good person. You know, in all of these things, the answer is, no, you're not. No, you're not. And what we're seeing right now is that we're living in a time of real darkness over not only the United Kingdom, but over all the world. A time of darkness where people have cast off the anchor of morality. One uh, 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 group that I, I follow calls this, the, and they're not a Christian group, they call it the great unmooring, where people have just cast aside all the things uh, in society that would have held them back from doing the wrong things. We are, as we've said many times over the last year, we are living in Babylon. We're not living in an Israel, a place that prefers the church of Jesus Christ and the Christian values. We are living in Babylon in a very, very dark time. And it's affected everyone. It's even affecting people in the church. I mean, we're seeing story after story of church leaders who are falling away. Leaders who fail to report uh, child abuse. Leaders who are embezzling from their congregations. Leaders who are having adulterous affairs. Leaders who are getting pulled over for drunk driving. And we see it all around us, even in the midst of people who call themselves to be Christians. And what we need in this season, what is required is a fresh revelation of who God is. You know, because we think that in order to overcome all of this, we've got to watch ourselves, you know. We think, I've got to pay attention to every little jot and tittle of my own morality. And we even have churches that get caught up into a new form of legalism. And so they want to give you a lot of rules. And so now in this crazy world you live in, you've got to live by all these rules and follow all these things. Otherwise, you'll go astray. And the rules become burdensome and onerous so that people want to walk away. And they don't want any part of it all. God anticipated this. Jesus knew this time was coming, and that's why Jesus gave us the book of Revelation. That's why he revealed it to John. 
Revelation was written for a time for the end times, the time just before the second coming of Jesus and just after that. But it gives us clues for how to live in the meantime. We got the end times, but we also have the meantime, and we need to know how to live in the meantime. We've got an end time Babylon that's coming, but we need to know how to live in the present Babylon. And the key thing that we see here very quickly in the opening chapter of the Revelation is that living right before God comes first and foremost by having a revelation of who God is and getting the resources that come to us through that revelation. There are certain things that once we get the revelation that we receive from the Lord, and if we live with these things, it will help us to live, to be fruitful, to be faithful, and even to thrive while we're living in a Babylon, while we're living in very dark times. Gives us the ability to see the light even in the darkness. We must not focus on the greatness of our need or the difficulty of our situation, but we must focus on God, especially Jesus and his glorious revelation to us. So we need these resources. We need these resources and praise God, these resources are available to us by faith by faith, because they're there. They've been provided. We just receive them and implement them by faith. The first, and these are all mentioned in this passage in Revelation. The first is that grace and peace, or grace and shalom, is actually the Hebrew word, and, uh, and John would have had shalom in his mind even when he wrote the word peace in Greek because shalom has a rich understanding. It means well-being. It's about living well. Grace, that is God's undeserved kindness and undeserved forgiveness, and shalom comes through a revelation of Almighty God. Grace and shalom comes through a revelation of Almighty God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. There in verse 8. God, what this passage is telling us, God is sovereign over all. God is sovereign over history. He brings all the world affairs to a climax in salvation and judgment. And God is transcendent over time. He's not subject to time. He's not bound by time. He created time, but he does not exist within time. And the God who transcends time guides the entire course of history because he stands as sovereign over both its beginning and its ending. Our triune God is the source of all grace and shalom. And we see that here. We see God the Father, who was and is and is to come, John says. That means he's eternal and unchanging. God is the same. He doesn't change. His feelings toward you do not change. That's the way God is. And then you get a picture 
of God the Holy Spirit. And it talks about this kind of strange thing, you know, the, the seven spirits before the throne of God. And you can look at that and say, okay, this sounds a little strange. Well, remember, throughout the Bible, the number seven is very important. It denotes fullness or completeness. And that's where Isaiah is very important because it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, that's five, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that's seven. It's the sevenfold spirit of God. It's not seven different spirits. It's one Holy Spirit who is there reigning with God, who is the source of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, all of which we need. And then we see God the Son, Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, is the faithful witness to who God is. You do not know God except through Jesus. You can't know God through the Quran. You can't know God through the Buddha. You can't know God through the Upanishads. You can only know God through Jesus. Through Jesus, because he's the faithful witness. He's also the firstborn from the dead in his resurrection. And this points to the new creation that he's bringing. He is, according to John here, the sovereign ruler of the kings on the earth, and by implication, all the demonic forces behind these kingdoms. Everything is subject to Jesus. He is the one who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood. He is glorious and victorious. Glory and dominion belong to him. This is the revelation of Jesus. And when you see God as he really is, almighty God, knowing that there is no circumstance in this world that is greater than God, no darkness that is greater than his light. When you get this revelation, out of that you receive grace and shalom. You know, this God who loves you so much, you know what? When he saved you, he knew everything you ever did and everything you were going to do. And he still saved you. He still called you. He knew what would make you, give you the deepest satisfaction in life. He knew all things about you, even when you didn't know, he knew. An almighty God who is unchanging, who is full of wisdom and might and power, who died on the cross in Jesus Christ for you, will bring you that grace and peace. Just receive it by faith. But there's a second resource that we need to receive. Again, it's already been provided for us, and that's hope. In this passage, hope, the hope that leads to patient endurance, that's why we need it, comes through a revelation of our glorious Jesus Christ. We need to have a revelation of Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but then we also need to have a further revelation of the glorious Jesus Christ who is before us. As with John, I mean, John talks about this partnership that we have. And all Christians, we have this partnership in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance in Christ Jesus. 
You know, over the years, and, and I know we're not a church that says a lot of amens, and that's okay. Uh, but over the years, you know, I've never had anybody say an amen to being a partner in the tribulation. I just, you know, just don't get that. But, you know, it's there. It's there. We're partners in this, the tribulation, but also the kingdom and also the patient endurance in Jesus Christ. Jesus, according to John here, Jesus has, as I mentioned, the glory and the dominion. This means he's got the rulership. He is in charge forever. As I said, he's glorious and victorious. And John tells us that this Jesus is coming in the clouds. He's coming with the clouds. There's going to be a second coming of Jesus Christ. And every eye will see him, even those who rejected him. When Jesus comes again, everyone is going to see him, even those who pierced him will see him. And all the peoples of the earth, all the tribes, all the people groups of the earth, without exception, will wail on account of him and his righteous judgment that he's bringing in the earth. And in that moment, he will make all the wrong things right. He will bring justice and righteous judgment. A righteous judgment, frankly, I can't bring, you can't bring. A government can't bring, but Jesus will bring it into the earth, according to John. And John sees a picture of Jesus here revealed in all his glory. He turns around, you know, he hears the voice. And he turns around, and what does he see? First of all, he sees one who's like a son of man. That points to Daniel, by the way. And if you read Daniel, you get some understanding to Revelation as well. There's one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash. This points to Jesus' role as priest, and as king before God. And also, we're seeing Jesus' role as prophet. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, proclaiming the word of God, representing us before God, and representing God to us, and the ruler. That's the picture here that John is seeing. He also sees that his hair is white like wool. And this, again, is the picture of the Ancient of Days in the book of Daniel. It's a picture of God. So he's saying this Jesus that you're seeing here, he's one like a son of man. He's prophet, priest, and king, but he's also God. He's also fully God here. Uh, Proverbs 16, 31, white hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Then his eyes, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And this is a metaphor of judgment. He looks and he pierces down deep into your spirit. He pierces down deep to your soul. With his eyes, he sees everything. There's no my truth when he looks. It's only truth, which is his truth. He sees there. He, doesn't, he sees beyond the excuses, well, I'm basically a good person. And he sees the truth of what's there. That's his eyes are like flame of fire. He sees everything that is hidden. And his feet here are like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. And you think, okay, that sounds a little strange. Well, remember what makes contact with the planet? It's our feet, right? Our feet makes contact with the world, if you will. 
Uh, and so this is about moral purity, maintaining moral purity in that contact with the world, in the midst of wickedness and immorality in the world. When Jesus walked on the earth, he did not sin. Jesus could hang out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, and the Pharisees and never once corrupted himself, never once sinned. He was able to main full, maintain full contact with us, with the world around us, without being corrupted by its evil, without being corrupted by his wickedness. And at the same time, he was fully in the world. There's no sense that Jesus was just some disembodied spirit. He was fully in contact, fully with us, yet he was without sin. And his voice here, according to John, is like the voice of many waters. Now, once again, this is pointing to God. Ezekiel, when he sees a vision of God, his voice is like many waters. And again, it's saying the voice that we're hearing is not the voice just of a man, but it's the voice of God himself. It's God who is speaking. And this, and this God, this Jesus, is holding the seven stars. Now, we're going to see more about that in a moment. But for now, this means that Jesus is the ruler of both the heavens and also the earth. There's nothing outside his rulership. There's nothing outside his authority. And from his mouth, there comes a sharp two-edged sword. Now, you know, the sword is the instrument of battle and also of judgment. It's the instrument of battle and judgment. But in this case, it's not Jesus picking up an actual sword and wielding that sword. It's not Jesus launching a missile somehow. It's Jesus speaking the word. And he speaks and he does battle with his word against the nations and against all those who compromise their faith. Jesus speaks. And we don't wage war in this world by human, be by human means. As Christians, we don't wage war by protesting. I'm not saying it's wrong to protest, but that's not how we're going to wage war. That's not how we're going to win hearts and minds in this world. We don't wage war by insulting people on X. We wage war by the words that come from Jesus and the mouth of Jesus. We cannot wage war by human means, and Jesus does not wage war by human means. His face here with John is shining like the sun in full strength. Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is also the light in the world. Jesus has the victory. He is the victorious warrior. Jesus rules in glory. And when you begin to see how glorious Jesus is, when you begin to see, get a glimpse of his greatness, you get a glimpse of his majesty, you get a glimpse of his dominion, you get a glimpse of his power, and you have hope. We have hope because nothing in this world can conquer Jesus and nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God and nothing in this world can separate me from my destiny in Jesus Christ. No amount of suffering can get the better of me. No amount of ill treatment by other people can overcome me because I see Jesus and I see who he is and I belong to Jesus. 
And that's what John is seeing here. So our grace and our shalom comes from really seeing Almighty God as He really is. And our hope, a hope that gives us this patient endurance to persevere, to prevail, to triumph. This hope comes from having a glimpse, a revelation of the glorious Christ. But there's a third thing that we need, and that's the church. And that might sound kind of strange because churches are pretty messed up, right? You know, I, I think I found a perfect church one time, but I went and messed it up. And you look at churches and you think, come on, how, how is this group here? How are we going to make a difference around in our community, let alone with 10 million people in London, let alone with 7 billion people on the planet. And these other churches, and there's no church big enough to do that. And you think, okay, this sounds kind of crazy. It sounds kind of weird to talk about needing the church alongside grace and shalom and hope. But we do, we do. But it's not the church that we often think of in our minds, and it's certainly not the church that we've often experienced in our lives. But we have a glimpse, a fuller revelation. We have, through seeing King Jesus, we get to understand our corporate being and doing in this world as a kingdom and priest to our God. As church, our corporate being, who we are and what we do in this world as, as a kingdom and priest to our God comes through a revelation of King Jesus. Our hope comes through a revelation of the glorious Christ. But knowing who we are together as the church, who we're called to be, what we're called to do together and the difference that makes, it only comes through a revelation of King Jesus because it requires faithful obedience and faith-filled obedience on our part. It's who we are and what we do together as the church, as the people of God. And so often we dismiss it. So often we assume that it's not important. So often we assume that nothing happens, that I just came to a service and I felt bored out of my mind and nothing's really going on. Or we get upset with people, or it's the same old, same old, and we think, what in the world is happening here? Well, it's a bit like demolishing a wall. If you've got a big wall, and you want to tear it down with one, you know, one of those big balls, you go, whoosh. The first time it hits the wall, you don't notice very much. But if you keep on going, and you keep on going, over time, that wall will fall. God does more in us and through us than we know. We need a revelation of King Jesus. We need a revelation of King Jesus because Jesus Christ is Lord over the church. And Jesus is the one who commands his church. He speaks to his church and all the churches. 
As I mentioned, the seven churches represent the whole church of Jesus Christ over all the world. So these seven churches are representative of all the churches in the world at any period of time and at all periods of time. And so Jesus is speaking to the church. And this is King Jesus, he's speaking. And you know, the first thing that he says, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid of what's going on around you. Don't be afraid of what's happening in your life. Don't be afraid of the war, uh, the various wars that are happening or the tragedies that happen. Fear not. And certainly don't be afraid of me, I think Jesus would say. Jesus is in the midst of his church, you see here, with the lampstands. It's interesting, Jesus is not over the church. Jesus is not under the church, but Jesus is in the midst of the church. Jesus is in our midst right now. Jesus is among us as one who serves, the scriptures say. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is in our midst, and we have this picture of King Jesus in the midst of his church, sovereignly tending to the church and caring for it. And we need to have confidence in this sovereignty so that we do not compromise. So we don't compromise as a church, and so we don't compromise ourselves within the church. And John says again, he sees again that Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Again, he is sovereign over history for the church. He's not only sovereign over history to ensure all of history goes to its logical conclusion. He's sovereign over the church and he's sovereign over the churches that follow him. So to ensure that they will accomplish everything that he has for them to accomplish. He is the first and the last. He will cause history to fulfill its purpose and its purpose will be fulfilled in Jesus. And we as the church are part of that fulfillment. He is the living one, he says. He's resurrected from the dead. We do not follow a dead prophet. We do not follow a dead religious leader. We follow a living Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, but he rose from the dead and now is alive forevermore. And that's the proof, that's the legitimation of his kingship, of his lordship. And this Jesus, he has the keys of death and Hades. He has the authority over death and hell, and we share in that authority. He knows what's happening now, and he knows what will happen in the future. That's who King Jesus is. And King Jesus has made us a kingdom. Now notice here how he doesn't say that he's made us a group of kings. He doesn't say he's made us a group of princes and he's the king. He says he's made us a kingdom. This means that we have a corporate kingship in Jesus Christ with Jesus as the sovereign king. In other words, you're not a king. I'm not a king. You're not a prince or princess. I'm not a prince. And thank God I'm not a princess. Uh, but 
we together share the authority of King Jesus. We together are called to be a kingdom to exercise Jesus's kingly authority under his leadership as our king. And this Jesus has also made us priests to his God and Father. And Jesus is the high priest. That means that we have a responsibility to represent God to the world faithfully. And we also have a responsibility to represent the world to God through our intercession and our prayer. Again, sharing in the ministry of Jesus Christ as the high priest. So each one of us is a priest, interestingly, but all of us together are a kingdom or a kingship. Individually, we're priests before our God, but corporately, we are a kingdom. And the church as a kingdom and priest to our God has both a heavenly existence and an earthly existence simultaneously. Jesus holding the stars indicate this. Our existence is not just on this planet right now. What we're doing right now is echoed in the third heaven. What we're doing right now, the worship that we engage in, is going on in the heavenly places in the third heaven above us. And we are part of that, and we are linked with that all the time. All the time. Each genuine church has an angel that's directed by Jesus, is not subject to people, and this is a, a big thing. You know, there are some people out there who say, you know, you command angels. No, we don't. We actually uh, can only suggest under the authority of Jesus. You know, that's not our authority. We command demons, but not God's angels, not God's angels being. But each one, each church, like Chelsea, like City Temple, uh, has an angel directed by Jesus to protect and provide for it. Hebrews 1.14 says, Angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. That's us. And the angels, they support the churches and they represent the church before God. This means that we, as a church, have heavenly help and protection in the world we're living in. Right now, there's a reality. You don't see it because that reality is exercised in the second heaven that I talked about with the kids. Occasionally, we'll get a glimpse, but not often. Not often. And our worship uh, on earth is united with the worship in heaven. And as well, we see here a picture that each genuine church of Jesus Christ has a lampstand given by Jesus that it ensures it will give light to the world around it. Sometimes we sweat it too much, what we're supposed to do. We just need to live with the lampstand that Jesus has already set before us. He's given us a lampstand. And the light of this lampstand represents God's presence in our midst and the presence of God's spirit to empower the building up of the church as the temple of God. And this light from the lampstand becomes the uncompromising witness of the church to the world around us so that the gates of hell 
cannot prevail against us. Now we need to understand Jesus can, and he often does, remove a church's lampstand if it becomes unfaithful. And I've seen this happen before. So it's an encouragement to remain faithful as the church of Jesus Christ that God has made to be. As the church, we are a kingdom reigning together with Jesus. And we are priests to our God serving together to engage with the world even in the midst of the darkness around us. And we need the resource of the church. We need the grace and the shalom that comes from seeing Almighty God. And we certainly need the hope that leads to patient endurance that comes from seeing our glorious Jesus Christ. But we also need the reality of who we are and what we're called to do that comes from a revelation of Jesus Christ as King, the conquering and unconquerable King who has made us together a kingdom and priests to our God. And the promise is that we shall reign on the earth. God wants us to have a heavenly perspective. And that's the only way we're going to survive this time of darkness. Boy, if I look at what's happening in the Church of England and what's happening in so many other churches, uh, if I look at what's happening in government, no matter what party you support, if I look at what's happening in the world, it kind of seems bleak at times. So we should stop looking at that and start looking at Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Start looking at our glorious Jesus. Start looking at our victorious and glorious King and say, Jesus, I'll follow you. We need to have that heavenly perspective on redemptive history, knowing that all of history will come together will reach a climax in the second coming of Jesus Christ and that we are called to be part of that so that we obey the commands of the Lord of history. We have the resources we need right now. We have the grace and peace through God Almighty. We have hope through our glorious Jesus. We have the church that Jesus has called us to be together right now. We simply need to receive it by faith and live it out faithfully and fruitfully even in the midst of darkness. Let's pray. Gracious God, I pray that you'd give us a fuller revelation of yourself. Lord, we only see glimpses, I know, because of our sin. And I pray, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself in all your glory. Lord, I thank you that as we go into a new time of worship, that we are joining with the angels in the heavenly places, that we are joining with the angels before your throne in the third heaven. And Father, today, I pray that you just pull aside the curtain ever so slightly for us, that we might have a glimpse, a life-changing glimpse of what's happening, really happening 
right now. We love you and we praise you. And we thank you and worship you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.